0: just look very quickly to Acts chapter number 6, you know, we read there that entire chapter, long chapter, 60 verses, and it really, that chapter kind of started in Acts 6, as far as what's going on, if you look down at verse 5, well, if you remember from last week, we were in Acts 6, and we preached about uh, deacons in the church, and what the Bible teaches in regards to deacons, and, you know, how so many churches today aren't, Uh, having deacons like God actually would want them to have. But if you look at verse number 5 in Acts chapter number 6, verse number 5 the Bible says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose, and now they're talking about the deacons they chose, and they say they chose Stephen. And I just want you to notice, it says Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that Stephen was full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Drop down to verse number 8 in the same chapter, Acts chapter number 6, and look at verse number 8. Again, it says about Stephen, and Stephen. Notice what it says: full of faith and power. Now, it's interesting that both times that he's described, he's, he said he's full of faith. One says he's full of the Holy Ghost. One says he's full of power. You say, why, why is that change like that? Because in order to be, in order to have power, you must be filled with the Holy Ghost. And he says, and it says that Stephen was full of faith and power and did great wonders and miracles among the people. So you see that he was a great man of God. He was a deacon there in the church and he was preaching God's word. He was performing miracles and did great wonders. Uh, drop down to verse number 9. Look at verse 9. I'm sorry, not drop down, but look at the next verse that says, Then there arose a certain of the synagogue which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Syrians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. So you see there, you've got these people from the synagogue, this false religion, and they're fighting and they're arguing and they're disputing with Stephen in the same way that they did with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So this man is just filled with the spirit of God, filled with faith, filled with Bible knowledge, and they're arguing with him and he's just, you know... uh, Uh, Arguing back and quoting verses to them and preaching to them and they're not even able to to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake and look at verse 11 it says then they uh, suburned that that word there means to bribe or to induce someone uh, to give a false testimony so they found these men to give a false testimony of Stephen which said we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God which was a lie so they get these people to be a false witness look at verse 12 And they stirred up the people, and the elders and the scribes, and came upon him, and caught him, and brought him to the council. So, they're arguing with Stephen, Stephen's preaching God's word, they get mad at him, they find these people to lie, and be false witnesses, and they just grab Stephen, and they take him to this council, kind of like a courthouse, and a courtroom, and they're going to, pretty much they're putting him on trial. And they're going to end up putting him to death. But they're putting this man on trial. And really, chapter number 7 starts right where chapter number 6 left off. Look at verse number 1. In in chapter 7, He said, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? So these, you know, these uh, false uh, witnesses have been lying about it and they've been telling things. And the, the high priest is asking him, are these things so? Is this true? Now if you notice in verse 2, Stephen begins, and pretty much the, most of this chapter is Stephen speaking. And he, they ask him this question, are these things so? But he doesn't answer their question. He just begins to preach the sermon to them. And he's going through, you know, just the history of the Jews and the history of God's chosen people. And there's a reason as to why, you know, he, we read these verses sometimes, it's easy to read these verses just kind of space out and think, ah, oh, this has nothing to do with anything. But there's a reason why he's bringing those things out. Now, I'm not going to preach, you know, verse by verse through chapter 7 tonight, because, uh, you know, we'd be here for like three weeks, you know, it's a lot of verses, but I want to just point out a few things to you as to what he was trying to uh, accomplish, and why Stephen was started to go into this dialogue, and into this sermon about the Jews, look at verse number 2, he said, the Bible says, and he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken to, hearken, uh, <clears throat> the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Sharon. That, that word Sharon there, in the Old Testament, is Heron. You know, as, as uh, the language changed there, uh, you know, different names changed. But it's the same place. Look at verse 3. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I, which I will show thee of. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Sharon. And from thence, when his fathers were dead, was dead, he removed him into this land where you now dwell. And he gave him no inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he, here's a key word, promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed. So he's bringing up the fact that. Abraham left his country and just went to the land that God promised him. And God promised him that he'd give him a possession, even though he hadn't given him anything at that point. He promised that he would give him the possession of that land and to his seed, so to his children. But look at the last part of verse 5. When yet he had no child. So Stephen is bringing up the fact that Abraham was chosen by God and Abraham exercised faith. Drop down to verse number 8. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac, and circumcised him the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. Now look at verse 9. And the patriarchs moved with envy... Sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. If you remember uh, from back in the Old Testament, God had chosen Joseph. And God had gave some revelations to Joseph and some dreams as to what was going to happen. And because Joseph talked about those things, his brothers, the patriarchs there, they moved with envy and they sold him. And they were against him. Now I want you to make note of this. Stephen is bringing up to these Pharisees, Stephen is bringing up to these false religion people, that the, from the beginning, I mean from the original patriarchs, they have had this history, where they rebel against the man, or the, that God has chosen. God chose Joseph, it was obvious that God had put, had put his hand on Joseph, and the patriarch moved with envy, and sold Joseph into Egypt, but the Bible says God was with him. Drop down to verse number 22. He continues on this story in this history of the Jews. And you look at verse 22. He says, And Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and in deed. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed, Moses supposed, his brethren would have understood how that by, how that God by his hand would deliver them. But notice... They understood not. Look at verse 26. And the next day he showed himself unto them, as they strove and would not, and would have set them at one, at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong, thrust him away. So look, Moses trying to help them, and, and he that did wrong, the Bible says, he thrust him away, saying, Who may thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Drop down to verse number 35. Look at verse 35. This Moses whom they refused, saying, who may be a ruler and a judge, the same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. So you see, he's highlighting again how God chose Moses to be the deliverer and He chose him to be ruler over Israel. But they rebelled. If you read the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, me, the whole entire time these children are just backbiting and rebelling against Moses and talking bad about Moses the entire time. Look at verse number 38. This he, referring to Moses that was in the church in the wilderness, with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai, and with our fathers whom uh, received the lively oracles to give unto him, to whom our fathers, notice what it says, would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. So notice, he's highlighting the fact that in their hearts they kept saying, we want to go back to Egypt. They did not want to obey Moses. They did not want to obey Aaron. They rebelled against Moses. They rebelled against Aaron. They rebelled against Joseph. They rebelled against the man that God had chosen. Now It has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a great verse. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If you look at verse 38, it says, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Notice that it says church in the wilderness. In the Old Testament, you won't find the word church in the wilderness. You'll find them talking about the congregation in the wilderness. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, how in Hebrews it says there that, you know, I will sing praise in the midst of the church. And in the Old Testament, that's quoted as singing praise in the midst of the congregation. That's because church and congregation mean the same thing. A church is a congregation. Church is not a building. Church is not, you know, a a building with stained glass windows. Church is the congregating of believers. And, And that's what church is. That's what we believe here. Church is not. Church is a place where believers come together and we preach God's word to edify. And it's interesting that that's what it says there because in the Bible, and the rest of the Old Testament says congregation, congregation. But here it says church in the wilderness. There was a congregation in the wilderness. They were all the believers assembled together. Uh, Look at verse number 40, Acts 7.40. He continues on with this sermon. He says, "...saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice unto the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness?" Look at verse 43. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Ramphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Now, what I want you to see is this. Stephen is preaching, and he's bringing up these Old Testament stories, he's Quoting these Old Testament verses, and he's bringing up these principles and these biblical principles to them. And I want you to notice that the, what, what he keeps highlighting is the fact that they kept rebelling against God. They kept rebelling against God's man. They kept rebelling, and they would say, "We want to go back to Egypt." They would say, "We want to worship these idols." They, they said, "You know, we want to have a, a, a golden calf," and they would say, and they say, uh, you know, all these different things. They wanted to just rebel against God. Now I want you to notice a few things in the story. Notice the crowd that he's preaching to. The certain of the synagogue that he's preaching the sermon to. They're all still listening to him. And no one seems mad or offended as he expounds upon this truth. To be honest with you, no one probably even knows what, the, what point he's trying to make. I mean, if the chapter just ended there, as to where we read, it would seem as if it was a random chapter that Stephen just decided to go through, you know, just uh, a survey of the Old Testament and give the entire history of the Old Testament. But see, this is how you must understand what preaching in the Bible is. Preaching in the Bible, and this is why, you know, I've said before, I I don't necessarily believe that at Verity Baptist Church we ever do, uh, you know, teaching without preaching, or preaching without teaching, because this is what preaching in the Bible is. You bring a truth out of the scriptures. You bring a principle out of the scriptures. Stephen is bringing some truths out of these stories and he's showing them the fact that all throughout their history they've rebelled against God, they've rebelled against God, they've rebelled against God. But notice, no one's upset. No one is mad. But in verse number 51, Stephen moves from Bringing a truth out of the scriptures and a principle out of a teaching. He, he moves from teaching something out of the scriptures and now he's moving into what is preaching, which is applying it to your life. And look at verse number 51. Stephen said all that to say this. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. And your fathers, as your fathers did, so do ye. Now you notice how it got a little more offensive? Look at verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been, uh, notice what he said, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. talking about Jesus Christ. Who have received the law by the disposition of the angels and have not kept it. Now, if you notice... He just, he, he, he brought up this whole point. And if it wasn't for uh, verses 51, 52, 53, we might not even know what his point was. He's going through, he's playing, you know, they rebelled, the patriarchs rebelled, they rebelled against Moses, they, they, in the book of Judges they were rebelling, in the whole entire history they are rebelling against God, against God, against God. And he brought up all those examples to be able to apply it to their life and say, look, you're stiff necked and you're uncircumcised in your heart, and you're resisting the Holy Ghost, and just like your fathers rebelled against God, you're... Uh, you know, you are now rebelling against God too. Now look at what happens. Look at verse number 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on Him with their teeth. Notice, they let Him get through 50 verses of just going through the history, and they're just sitting there, just listening to Him. No problems. But as soon as He applies it to them personally, now they're mad. Now they're upset. And you know, the thing about preaching is that The average church in America today, the average church in the world today, is a Acts, you know, chapter number 7, verses 1 through 50 type preaching. I mean, you can go to any church in America today, and they're just going to tell you things about the Bible. They're going to tell you nice things. They're going to tell you, you know, oh, you know, the history of this, and the story of that, and the story, oh, and the story of, no, and the story. But here's where most churches mess up. They fail to apply it. They fail to bring it, you know, home to today. To to, uh, to, to to Americans and to us and our lives and Christians of today. You say, well, why do they do that? Because when you do that, you upset people. When you do that, you make people mad. You say, but is that how it's supposed to go? Well, Stephen, just this young preacher, didn't know what was going on. He just didn't have enough experience. Look, look at what the Bible says. Go me to Isaiah, chapter number 58. Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter number 58. And look at verse number 1. Isaiah chapter number 58 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says in Isaiah 58.1 Isaiah is in your Old Testament. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets. If if you find the big books of the prophets towards uh, your Old Testament you'll find Isaiah chapter number 58 and verse 1. And Isaiah 58.1 is a very interesting verse because it's God teaching Isaiah how to preach. God is telling Isaiah, Isaiah this is how I want you to preach. Notice what he says. Cry aloud. You know, preaching 101. Here, here's how, you know, you say, how do I, I, I'm a man, I'd like to preach one day. Let me, let me teach you how to preach. You say, how do I know if someone's a good preacher? Preaching 101, Isaiah 58, 1, cry aloud. Be loud. God says He wants you to yell. He wants you to raise your voice, alright? That's why whenever I listen to preachers and they're just kind of like, you know, they just talk. And they don't really, you know, people say, people say I'm not really a preacher. I'm, I'm more of a teacher. Well, look, God said cry aloud. He says, "Spare not." You know what "spare not" means. He says, "Don't leave anything out." Notice what he says: "Lift up your voice like a trumpet." Is a trumpet loud or quiet? Is, is a trumpet something you know? Is, is a, is a trumpet something you listen to? You know, right before you go to bed? No. Trumpets are the type of thing that they have like a football game. You know what I'm saying? I mean, trumpets are the loud instrument. He says, "He says, cry loud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet." And then notice most important part of preaching. Show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. God says, when you preach, I don't want you to just be loud. I don't want you to just say something. I want you to apply. I want you to show them their transgression. That the Bible says that sin is a transgression of law. He said, I want you to show the house of Jacob their sin. Go me to Jeremiah chapter number 1. Look at verse number 10. You're there in Isaiah. The very next book, Jeremiah chapter number one. In Jeremiah chapter number one, in verse ten, we find God teaching Jeremiah how to preach. And notice what He says. I, I have an email. I have an email sitting in my inbox right now. Somebody saying, telling me they don't like our church because every time they come here, uh, they they feel they, they don't leave here po- feeling positive. Is <laughs> what they said. They said it, it, it's it's so negative. You know, you're always being negative. Well, look at Jeremiah chapter number 1 and verse 10. Notice how God wants Jeremiah to preach. He says, see, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. Notice what he says. God says to Jeremiah, I set thee over the nations, I set thee over the kingdoms. Notice what he says, to root out. Does that sound positive or negative? I mean, think about somebody going to your yard, you know, you planted all these beautiful roses, and they're just rooting them out. Is that a positive thing or a negative thing? It's a negative, right? So it's to root up. To pull down. Does that sound positive or negative? To destroy. Does that sound positive or negative? To throw down. Does that sound positive or negative? To build. Positive or negative? That's positive, right? And to plant, That's positive, right? But notice, he gave six things. And four out of six. Two-thirds were negative, One-third positive. Say, Pastor Remanis, I think you should be more positive. You know what? I think we should be more negative. I think preaching should be, you know, you, you say, well, what, 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 should preaching, what should preaching at Mary Baptist Church be like? Here's what it should be like. Pointing out your sin and pointing out your transgression. You say, uh, I, I leave your church feeling uh, 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 negative. I, feel, I leave your church feeling like you attacked me. And I, I, feel, I, I feel like you're just rebuking me and I, I don't feel positive. Well, look, you ought to feel negative. Two out of, you know, two-thirds of the time you ought to feel negative. Because that's what Jesus said. Go, go to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. In your New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. You'll be surprised how consistent God is. 2 Timothy 4.2. He told Jeremiah to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. Two thirds negative, one third positive. Look at 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Look at verse number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Look at verse 2. Paul is teaching, uh, is teaching Timothy how to preach. Notice what he says. Preach the word... Preach the word. Preach the word. You know there's Christians today that believe that we ought to just throw away the Old Testament and that the only thing that applies to it is the New Testament? Well, Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. And what you've got to understand is when Paul was writing 2 Timothy, all they had was the Old Testament. And he's telling them and preached the word. You know there's Christians today who even say that we don't even need the entire New Testament. All we need is the letters written by Paul. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they're saying we don't even need the Gospels, which have the story of Jesus Christ. But notice what Paul said. Obviously we know it's the Holy Ghost speaking through Paul. And 2 Timothy 4.2, notice what he says. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. That's the exact same thing that God told Isaiah. Spare not. He's saying whether it's popular, whether it's not. Whether people like it, whether they don't like it. He said be instant in season, out of season. Notice what he says. Reprove. Is that positive or negative? What does reprove mean? The word reprove means to correct. It literally means to criticize. Does that sound negative? To reprove. To rebuke. Does that sound positive or negative? The word rebuke means to reprimand or scold. Like when you, you, know, you scold your child, you're rebuking them. Is that positive or negative? To exhort. Now not positive. The word exhort means to, to urge someone, to give advice, to teach. With all long-suffering and doctrine. So notice he gave him three things. Rebuke, negative, negative. Um, reprove negative, exhort positive. Guess what? Two thirds negative, one third positive. Just like in Jeremiah. Oh, well, the God of the New Testament is different than the Old Testament. Yeah, right. It's so the same thing. Two thirds negative. Like, he says, like, uh, 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 Timothy, when you preach, I want you to preach negative sermons. I want you to show them their sin. I want you to show them their transgression. I want you, but they're going to feel bad about it. They're not going to like it. But see, the average church in America today, the people. Leave you know, the church has I it. Feel, I feel so good today. I feel like God loves me today as they go and smoke their pot, as they go and get drunk, as they go and fornicate and commit adultery and get divorced and live in sin. And people go to church and no one's ever pointing out their sin to them, no one's ever telling them they're doing wrong, no one's ever preaching the Bible. And that's not what Stephen was doing. Stephen spent 50 verses bringing out a biblical truth, three verses preaching it to them, and then they killed him. That's what they did. We ought to preach the word. See, it's easy. See, here's where the average church does. It's it's easy to say, oh, the Bible is God's perfect inspired word. You go to any church in America today and you will not find a pastor who says that the Bible is not inspired by God. They all believe that. But how many of them stand up and say the King James Bible is the perfect word of God and the NIV and the New King James Bible and the American Standard Version are a bunch of trash and actually bring it on and show it to you? How many do that? Well, that's different. You say, well, why don't people do that? Well, here's the thing. Because you offend people when you do that. You make people upset when you do that. See, it's easy to say, Hey, you know, ladies ought to dress like ladies, and men ought to dress like men. But when you actually start showing them the verses, where it says that women ought not wear pants like a man, because that's unisex movement, because God says that there ought to be a difference. When you start telling men that maybe they should take the earring out of their ear, and take the bracelets off, and the chains off, and start dressing like a man, and look like... See, what... When... It's easy to bring out a, a biblical truth and say, Oh, well, God wants you to dress like a lady. Oh, that's nice. You know, but when you actually bring it home and apply it, now people start getting upset. You see what I'm saying? See, it's easy to say, Hey, hey, be careful what you watch on your television. You know, make sure that that God, you know, just remember, you know, Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. See, that's, that's easy. That's nice. No one gets offended with that. But see, when, when a pastor stands up and says, hey, you know, those TV shows you've been watching, and I don't even know what TV shows are on, on right now. My wife and I haven't owned a television in so long, I don't even know what shows are on right now. But you know, uh, somebody was telling me about some show uh, about these people, and all they, do, they live in this house, and all they do is they fornicate, drink, party, go to clubs, and Christians watch that garbage. And look, uh, is it right for a Christian who has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them, God Almighty living inside of them, to sit down in front of a television and watch TV shows where they glorify fornication? Do you think God's okay with that? To watch TV shows where they where they glorify alcohol, where they uh, glorify adultery, where they glorify divorce—you know—and that's all of them, by the way. Show me one TV show in 2011 where they're teaching, you know, where they're showing people dating and, 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 and staying virgins till, till, till they, you know, get to the uh, to the altar and they get married. first day, even if they don't show it. That's what they're teaching. Now look, would it be easier for me to just say, hey, be careful with the TV. See, you offend people, it's easy to bring out a biblical truth. Oh, these Jews, they were always rebelling against God. But when you point your finger, see, it's easy for Nathan to go to David and give him the story and say, hey, David, there was a guy who had one little lamb. And there was this other guy who had many lambs. And and the guy who had all these lambs... He took the sheep from the one guy... And he he ate it. You know, that's easy. But then when Nathan points his finger at David... And says, Thou art the man. You see what I'm saying? Preaching ought to make you feel bad. Preaching ought to make you feel uncomfortable. Preaching ought to make you feel... Like you need to change something in your life. And that's what the Bible says. But the average church in America... The pastor stands up... And he brings out these biblical principles fails to apply. Them. And that's why in the average church in America, there's no growth. People don't grow, people don't learn, people don't change anything. They come in and they leave the same way. Nothing changes in their life. They never, and you know, you know, I'll tell you the truth. My goal at Very Baptist Church is to make you feel bad about your sin. To the point where you'll either change or leave. Because, we. you know, the Bible says that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lot. I don't want fornicators at Verity Baptist Church. I don't want adulterers at Verity Baptist Church. I don't want drunkards at Verity Baptist Church. I don't want worldly people at our church. So I'm going to preach this to you to get right or get out. And that's what Stephen was doing. I mean, think about the guts it took. Stephen was standing uh, in a council full of people who were getting ready to kill him. And he knew it. And he still stood up. And he still pointed his finger. And he still said, you stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart. You do always resist the Holy Ghost that's different than today see it's easy to say oh be careful drink in moderation oh, Don't be careful with that alcohol you know but when you go to Proverbs chapter number 20 and verse 1 and, and read wine is a mocker strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise when you read verses like who hath woe and who hath sorrow and who hath contentions who hath babblings who hath wounds without Do you notice that God just commanded you to not even look at it? There goes your Super Bowl, you know, commercials, where they're all about beer. God said, don't even look at it. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and it stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes, notice what he said, Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. they have stricken me shalt thou say and I was not sick they have beaten me I felt it not when shall I wake I will seek it yet again. See, it's easy to say drink in moderation but when you bring out these verses and say hey, you ought not even look at beer you ought not even look at alcohol that the, the alcohol in America is the reason So when I start seeing people, you know, kind of, um, you know, they start getting all stiff and they start crossing their arms, start looking at me, playing. I just ring that bell again. You know, just a few weeks ago, we had a girl here, and I, I said something about Catholicism. I said, "You know what I did? I spent the next ten minutes on Catholicism because hey, she's not coming back anyway, so I might as well get it all in while she's here." And I'm just gonna get it all in all the time. And Stephen just preached God's word. And, and it was nice because he gave all this biblical proof. He said, look, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And they were fine. But then when he applied it to their lives. And that's the problem. I don't, because when we don't apply it, then you don't know what to do with the information. I can tell you, I can prove to you all day long from the Bible that God's word is preserved and is perfect. But when we actually compare it with other scriptures and apply it. Now you learned something. Now you can teach it to someone else. Look at verse number 54. Acts chapter number 7. Look at verse 54. Acts seven fifty-four. Notice the response. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on Him with their teeth. But He, being full of the Holy Ghost, said, How, how do I... How, how, How is it that a man can stand up and preach all those things and they're just not politically correct? They just go against, you know, everything we've ever been taught at the public school. Well, look, he was full with the Holy Ghost. That's why he was able to preach it. He said, looked up set into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Look at verse 57. And they cried with a loud voice. And they stopped their ears. Have you ever seen a child, you know, when they're rebelling or when they're angry, and they literally just close their, you know, they put their hands over their ears, and they just start making noises because they don't want to hear? That's literally what these grown men are doing. They cried with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord. Let me ask you a question. When you hear biblical preaching that's applied to your life, what's your response? Do you respond like these people? Do you just get mad and say, I'm never going back there again? I'm going to go back to watching my Joel Osteen. He makes me feel positive. I like his smile. Hey, I like his smile too. If I could have a smile, I'd have it. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Look at verse number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. We read there, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, and all of that. Look at verse number 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. The Bible says that there will come a time, and I think we're in it, when people will literally know the truth, know the, and they will choose to go and hear fables. I mean, people will come to this church and hear the truth from God's word. I will prove it to them from my word. I will read the verses and they will look at me in the face and say, that's the truth. And they'll still choose to go to another church to get lied to. You know why? Because they want to be lied to. It says they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear what the Bible says. They don't want to hear what God's Word says. They want to, you know, it says, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of like like my dog out here, Gunner, or, you know, think of a dog, when they just want you, and they want to scratch their ear. That's what they want the pastor to be. They want to come to church and just have somebody just scratch your ear and make you feel good. Just like a dog. You know, like a dog does. That's what people want. You think you think people want to come to church on a Sunday morning and get challenged to grow, to do something, and get called out on their sin and have their sin made uh, pu- you know made made clear from the Word of God? No, they just want me to say, "Oh, God loves you any way you are. He understands your sin, and He doesn't care." And He, you know, that's what people want. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 20, and verse 27, it says, For I have not shunned to declare you all the counsel of God. Now, I just want to give you this challenge tonight. At Verity Baptist Church, our goal and our mission, mission is to preach God's Word. Not watered down. Unadulterated. Just give you God's Bible and preach it to you. Whether it goes against the grain or not. In season, out of season. But here's the thing. This church is not for everyone. I'm fully aware of that. Say, Pastor Man, do you think the church is going to grow with that type of preaching? You know what? God's going to have to build this church. If God wants this church to grow, then He will act to it as He sees fit. And if He doesn't act to it, then you know what? I'm not going to sit there and beg anybody and try to get people to come to this church because I'm not God. It's His body. It's His church. I'm just going to preach God's word. But this church is not for everybody. If you're looking for a church where you can be made felt good, where they're going to have you know, all these activities and these nice buildings and all these different ministries, then look. But if you're looking for a place where you don't want to be lied to, where you want to know God's word and understand God's word, and where you might not agree with everything I say, or maybe you don't like how I say it, but at least you've got someone at the pulpit that will say it. You, know, you ought to be thankful that there, you know, and, and in this church, I'm more interested in having a lighthouse in Sacramento that is going to stand up for the truth of God's word and preach God's word and not be scared and not back down about it and not be afraid that oh, you know, so and so is going to get mad and so and so is going to leave. You know, and people get upset. You know, and, and someone told me uh, recently, you know, you ought not preach sermon. You know, you ought not preach against things that that uh, people are going through. Look, if I. If ever, first of all, I don't know every sin that everybody's going through. I don't know if you know this, but just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm a psychic. But if I, if I decided to not preach every sin that I know people are going through, you know that I'd preach nothing. Ever. Because everybody's a sinner, including me. But we've got to preach God's word. Look at verse number 55. You say, why, why do you want to be that type of church? Even if, you don't, even if you don't accomplish anything. Did Stephen accomplish much with his life? Do you think he did? We found out about him in Acts chapter number six, and he was dead. Acts chapter number seven. Did he accomplish much? Did he do much? Did he build a great church? Did he do great things? To the human eye, it doesn't seem like it. But look at verse number fifty-five. Say, pastor said, "Your church is never going to grow, preaching like that." You know, Stephen could have stayed alive if if, if he would have uh, ended you know verse number fifty by saying, "Well, let's bow our heads and number word of prayer." They probably would have let him go. They would have said, oh, that was nice, Stephen. Good job. But he kept going in verse 51, 52, 53. He applied it to their lives and they killed him because of it. Look at verse 55. But he, talking about Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon Him with one accord, and cast Him out of the city, and stoned Him, and the witnesses, notice it says, laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, notice what he said, lay not this sin to their charge. And when they had said this, he fell asleep. If you notice there, Saul was, the Bible says in the next chapter, that he was consenting unto his death. The Bible says that they laid their, um, their coat at his, At Saul's feet as they killed Stephen. And Saul, who later on in the book of Acts gets saved and becomes the Apostle Paul, who is one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, I believe the greatest Christian who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Paul, who started more churches than any other person we know of. Paul, who the only reason we're saved today as Gentiles is because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, was a witness of Stephen. And I just got to ask you a question. Do you think that him watching Stephen die? I mean, we don't see Stephen there, you know, crying. We don't see him backing off. He just stands up and, and he just looks up to heaven and he just says, you know, uh, Lord, receive my spirit. And he says, Lord, lay not this sin to your... I mean, he just takes it like a true soldier of Jesus Christ. Do you think that might have influenced Paul? I think it did. Let me show you why Second Timothy. Go with me to Second Timothy chapter 4. We're almost done. This is the last verse we'll look at. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, look at verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, the Apostle Paul is getting ready to finish his ministry. He's giving last words, he's an old man, giving last words of advice to this young preacher. And look at what he says in verse number 6. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, look at verse 16. He says, at my first answer, Paul is talking about the fact that he has now been taken into a courtroom just like Stephen. It says that my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. So he's talking about how all his friends, they left him. When things got tough, they left him. And he was there by himself. And notice when he says, last phrase of verse 16, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. I wonder where Paul heard that. I wonder where Paul got that from. Do you see how that sounds very much like Stephen's last words, Lay not this sin to their charge. Paul said, I pray God that, I may not, that, I may not, uh, that it may not be laid to their charge. See, people would look at Stephen and say, what a wasted life. I mean, he was, had so much potential. He could have been the next Billy Graham. He could have been the next Joel Osteen. I mean, he could have done all these things, and, but he just he didn't know when to stop. And he just kept preaching, and he got them mad, and they killed him. What a waste. But I would say, no. Because there was a young man who watched that, and that left an impression on him. And in a few chapters, when that young man gets saved... I believe for the rest of Paul's ministry, remember we talked about, uh, I think last Sunday or a couple weeks ago, how Paul got beaten with rods, how he got stoned, how he was in shipwrecks and he went through all these persecutions on Sunday night. We're talking about reaping and sowing. I believe as Paul went through all things, he just had Stephen as a, as a hero of the faith. And he's just thinking of Stephen. He's saying, man, if that guy, while he's being killed, could say, lay not this sin to the church. You know what? I can deal with these issues. I can deal with these problems. And I'm going to pray God that, that their sin may not be laid to their charge." I believe Paul had made a hero of Stephen in his life. And I believe that Stephen's short life and short ministry because he refused to back down because he refused If people would look at it and say, what a waste. Say, Pastor Jimenez, do you think your church is going to grow? It's going to be such a wasted ministry. Your church is never going to grow this type of preaching. Hey, you know what? Maybe it won't grow. Maybe we'll fail miserably. Maybe maybe I'll die. Maybe I'll be arrested. You know, as soon as they pass a law on, you know, not preaching against the queers, the next sermon is all about the queers. Because someone's going to stand up against this garbage. And he say, what, what if you get arrested? What if you get killed? What, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we won't. You know, Maybe I won't have the next 3,000 mega church. But maybe, just maybe, we can influence a young man. Maybe, maybe my sons are watching. Maybe there's a young Saul that's going to watch or listen or hear these sermons or, or be influenced by this church, and maybe he'll do something great for God. That's why we must live for God. That's why we cannot back down. That's why your life, Christian, you say, well, uh, you know, I just act worldly around the sinful, you know, the unsaved people because it doesn't really matter. They're unsaved. You don't have to act like a Christian around the Christians. Hey, Saul wasn't saved, but Stephen's testimony still applied. We ought to live for God. And we ought to not back down, and we ought to not be afraid to just call it how it is. Because number one, that's what God wants. And if you say, oh, Stephen's life was wasted, I don't think it was. I mean, here we are, 2,000 some odd years later, and we're still preaching about this great man of God who stood up at the face of death and just preached God's word. He said, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to the church. Look at, look at, I know I told you we were going to look at the last verse, but just look at the few, first few verses of chapter number 8. We'll be in chapter number 8 next Wednesday. It says, and Saul was consenting us to his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions, and Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And notice what it says in verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. What a great man of God head that I'm a word of prayer thank you, father thank you Lord for our church and thank you Lord for Stephen and his life the fact that we can look at it and it can